Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. What's Wagner's rule of life number four? <laughs> Nothing good happens outside a strip club at 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm sorry, I understand I might be like a dog with a bone on this, but this is just fundamentally wrong. It is an insult, but let's tee this up. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414-799-1620. I'm sorry, I think this is absolutely... Absolutely ridiculous. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. 59 degrees at our studio. Looks like a very, very nice day leading into a really, really, really crummy weekend. Just cannot get a break from the weather. That's okay. We've got an eclectic program, some national politics, some local issues, some fun stuff. Stick around. Let us get started. Joe Biden announces that he is not going to be scared out of running for president. These attacks on Joe Biden by the the Me Too movement, you know, if you don't think that that was orchestrated to try to scare him out of getting into the race, my advice would be, again, make sure you duck your shoulder when you fall off the turnip truck so you don't hurt yourself. There's no question in my mind that some of the liberal, more liberal parts of the Democratic Party said, all right, let's try to scare Joe Biden away. Let's let's bring out these charges of women who say that while he didn't sexually assault them, they made him un- they, he made them uncomfortable. Biden has weathered that challenge. He is now in the race. Joe Biden is 76 years old. And the stories that are out today are, OK, can can Biden can Biden get nominated? Is it is it still Biden's Democratic Party? Has the Democratic Party moved on? Here's what that means. Joe Biden is one of your more traditional center left Democrats. Clearly, he is a liberal, but he's not a kooky liberal. And Joe Biden, I think, has a lot of appeal to a number of the working class voters that Donald Trump got in 2016. He would appeal to them. Joe Biden, I don't believe, is going to come out and endorse some of what I consider to be just the nut job, wacky policies that some Democrats are pushing. The Medicare for all. Let's blow up the private health insurance system. Let's do away with all that. Let's have the government take over health insurance. I don't think Biden's going to endorse that. Biden's not going to jump on the Green New Deal as proposed. The idea of, hey, we're going to ground all the airplanes. We're going to drive gas prices through the roof so it's too expensive for people to drive. He's not going to go down. Down that route. Joe Biden is not going to be the darling of the Bernie Sanders wing of the Democrat Party. Having said that, if Joe Biden is able to get the Democrat nomination, I think there is a much better than even chance that he goes on and he beats Donald Trump in November of 2020. I think if you go with somebody like a Bernie Sanders or an Elizabeth Warren, I think Donald Trump probably gets reelected because even though there's a lot of people who probably don't like Donald Trump or find his personality to be off-putting or whatever or don't like the drama that we go through on a regular basis, they're, they're not ready to turn this country over to one of these far left-wing kooks. Joe Biden is not going to come across like that. 414-799-1620. That is the Accunate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's start with this basic premise. I don't know whether Joe Biden gets the Democrat nomination or not. I don't know, and I'm not prepared to make a prediction. 
I am prepared to say that I think if Joe Biden is the Democrats nominee for president in 2020, I think he beats Donald Trump. 414-799-1620. That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. What, what do you think? Is Biden the best chance that Democrats have to beat Donald Trump? Can he beat Donald Trump? Will he be able to put together coalitions of voters that say, all right, you know, we, we want to move on from the Trump years? And, and my answer is yes. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Can Joe Biden get the Democrat nomination? I'm not sure. If he is the candidate, I think odds are that he beats Donald Trump. I think he wins a number of the states that Trump won in 2016, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin. And I I just I think that's kind of the reality that's out there. Some Republicans don't want to hear it. Some Democrats might not want to hear it. But that's where I think this all comes down to. If Democrats nominate Joe Biden, I think he is the next president of the United States. 414-799-1620. Grew is lining up the calls. We're back to discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Is Joe Biden, can Joe Biden win? Is Joe Biden likely to win if he's the candidate that the Democrats choose? My answer is, I think so. We discuss in a minute. Back to take your calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Look, I understand some people might be screaming at the radio right now. How can you say you think Joe Biden would beat Donald Trump? Because I think Joe Biden, if he's the nominee, and I'm not convinced that's going to happen, but I think if he's the nominee, he beats Donald Trump. Uh, Here's a text. Jeff, I fully agree with you. Trump is such a knucklehead at times that I think people would take Joe Biden over him just because Trump is known to act like an ass. I think he has a lot to worry about in 2020 if Biden is nominated. 414-799-1620. Tony on the northwest side. Tony, good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Tony. Jeff, I hope Biden also gets that nomination because, first of all, that Bernie Sanders scares the daylights out of me with all that nonsense. He scared Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren and several of those other candidates. They scare the daylights out of a lot of us, Tony. And I, again, I, I understand that. Okay, let's pay off everybody's student loans sound appealing. I understand that let's tax everybody. Let's blow up the health care system. Let's have free college. I understand it sounds appealing, but, but once you know what the, they we can pay for say, it. They never say to the people, I'll tell you where we're going to get this money from. Right. They just spout all this, this silly nonsense out. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I that that's it. No, thanks for the call. I mean, I, I, I think that, that, you know, there's a number of these Democrats, and I understand that the new Democrat Party is way out there to the left, and they're trying to say, well, don't worry, we're we're not really all socialists. Well, yeah, they, they are, as a practical matter. And I, see, I believe America is still, I think it's still a center-right country. I, I, I do. And I don't think the majority of voters are willing to go all the way to the left. Maybe maybe some young people are, you know, maybe there's some people out there, but I, I think you nominate Bernie Sanders, you nominate Elizabeth Warren, that's a recipe for getting Donald Trump elected. Um, here's a vote. Uh, Jeff, I consider myself an independent voter. I won't vote for President Trump, but couldn't in good conscience vote for Hillary. So I abstain from voting for President 2016. I won't vote for Sanders, but I would likely vote for Biden, although I don't know for sure. So I, I think I agree with you. See, I mean, my, my conclusion in the 2016 election was what happened is I don't think it was so much 
I don't think the reason that there's a lot of reasons why Trump won Wisconsin and Michigan and Pennsylvania, but I think it was much more of a rejection of Hillary Clinton than it was of of an embracing of Donald Trump. It was people who just knew Hillary Clinton and didn't like Hillary Clinton. Well, okay, the the dynamic has now changed. I, I think there's a lot of people who now know Donald Trump, and for whatever reasons, even if they agree with his policies, the the, the drama. The, the tweets, all this stuff is just off-putting, and they don't want to hand the country over to a Bernie Sanders, but if there was a more moderate choice that was out there as represented by somebody like Joe Biden, I think there's a lot of independent voters that would jump on that. 414-799-1620. Paul in Heartland. Paul, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Paul. I agree with you, and I'm a staunch Republican and conservative and, and been that way my entire life. If the primary were held today for the Democrats, I'm truly convinced Biden would not get up. You think it would, uh, you think, who do you think, Bernie? Bernie Sanders? Yeah, I think so. Uh-huh. Uh, some of these other kooks are just... But as the field starts to shrink, as it will, and it gets down to four-ish or something like that, maybe five, Biden's definitely the frontrunner, and mm-hmm. he'll be nominated. And I'm a... Like I said, I, I he has one thing Trump doesn't have, a personality. And he's got common sense, and yeah. he accuses me. And uh, well, they might have to swallow hard to vote for Biden. You'd think about it. I, I definitely would think about it. Unless he stumbles, right. he can be Trump. Right, or or unless he decides that in order to get the nomination, he's got to push himself to the far left, and he's got to start embracing the the Medicare for all and the let's adopt the whole green new. Right, right. I don't see him doing that either, because um, I think his road to victory. He's not going to out. He's not going to out Bernie Sanders, Bernie Sanders, or, or Elizabeth Warren. I think his thing is look. I'm I am a moderate Democrat. I'm in the Bill Clinton mode. I'm in the Barack Obama mode, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, no, thanks. I mean, that's thanks. I mean, that that's the appeal. And again, I I think that is an appeal that there's a lot of moderate voters who would would kind of be receptive to who don't want to upend the politics of this country, you know, don't want to blow. We don't want to destroy the private health care insurance system, for example, and put a million point one point two million people out of work and, and have the government provide all this. We're not at that point yet. Will we be at that point 20 years from now? I don't know, but I don't think we're there at 2020. But if you give somebody a, a more moderate option to President Trump, who Apart from the merits of his policies, it's been you know one act of drama after another. And I mean, there, there's a new there's a shock poll that's out today that has Biden ahead by about eight points. I actually think that that's probably the case. I mean, I've made the argument before that I think Donald Trump's going to have trouble getting reelected because. He is the known commodity, and you have lots of people who are just turned off by all the, the, I'm going to use the word drama, surrounding him. You give voters a moderate alternative, definitely further to the left than he is, but a moderate alternative, I think that they will seize it. And, you know, don't believe, just believe me, Chris Christie, he's out doing interviews today saying, you know, Biden's the guy that might be able to get a lot of these working class voters who bailed on Hillary might get them to vote for Democrats. 414-799-1620. Mary in West Dallas. Mary, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hello. Um, I would agree with you. I um, Last time around, I voted independent because I just couldn't vote for Mr. Trump, and I couldn't vote for another Clinton White House. Right. And um, 
I still can't vote for Mr. Trump. And if Biden runs and he's, you know, more uh, moderate, moderate. Yeah, no word. I will vote for him. No, because you're not you're not willing to go all the way to the left and say, let's let's blow up health care and let's, you know, let, let's blow up our private, you know, the, the education exactly. system. You're, you're right. And, and I see. And I think, Mary, you're where a good chunk of the country is. And they're, they're looking for an alternative. And Joe Biden, even at the age of 76, might very well be that alternative. Yep, I think you're right. Yeah, no, thanks. I mean that, and that's why. And now look, and that's why I've been very, very careful in this discussion. I I don't know if he's going to be acceptable. I don't know where the Democrat Party is in in 2019. I mean, you you start all the attention is is the the far left kind of the whack job sort of stuff that the kook fringe that's out there, and that's where all the attention is going. As I always caution you, though, you know that the Democrats that. The reason the Democrats retook the House wasn't because of the far left. It was because they ran moderate Democrats in swing districts who beat Republicans. And so even though, again, the attention in the Democrat Party is on the far left, I, I still don't think that's even where the majority of the country is. Now, you know, Biden's got to figure this out because, I mean, Democrat voters – Republican voters in the primaries tend to be more conservative than the overall electorate, and Democrat voters in the primaries tend to be more conservative, more liberal than the overall electorate. So Biden's going to be having all these incredible efforts and pressures to move to the left and move to the left and move to the left. If he moves too far to the left, well, then a lot of what I'm talking about kind of goes out the window if he embraces some of these whack job ideas. But I, I think he's candidly too smart to do it and the fact i think there's a lot of democrats on the far left who recognize that biden is a formidable candidate and that's why they're again that's why you had the the me too attacks that that came out if if you don't think that was orchestrated by some people who want to support either Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren or some of these others, if you think it was just a coincidence that, gee, Joe Biden is coming up to getting ready to announce to run, and all of a sudden you now suddenly get all these stories about how he was invading women's personal space. Like I say, if you don't think that was coordinated, well, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I have a bridge to sell you. 414-799-1620, Scott in Janesville. Scott, good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon. I cannot uh, fathom the Democrats actually all coming together to choose one candidate to run against President Trump. Mm -hmm. Um, They have 13 candidates already, I think. I think it's close to 20, isn't it? Yeah, Yeah. yeah, somewhere around there. But to to for Joe Biden, I you know what you kind of knew that this was coming when he was talking about his friend John McCain. Right. You knew that he was hesitating at that time to say, you know, but he was. You know, looking back at his friend John McCain, who was a Republican, who yeah. almost lost his, almost had to run as a Democrat in his own state right. in order to keep his seat. So, John McCain has never been really a true Republican, and either has uh, Lindsey Graham. So, what's going to happen if Lindsey Graham's friend Joe Biden is going to run for president? Is he going to be able to stand behind President Trump and say that's our guy? Because now we have another Republican. I, That's talking about running against uh, in the primary against President Trump. And this whole politics has become so absurd 
Well, it is. I mean, it is interesting. No, thanks for calling, Scott. I mean, it, it, it is it is going to be interesting what's going to happen. Yeah, and you're right. You've got a number of Republicans that are out there. Bill Weld, who is a very liberal former governor of Massachusetts, I think he's in the race. He's not going anywhere. Um, Larry Hogan, who is a very, very popular governor of Maryland, just got reelected overwhelmingly. And Maryland is an overwhelmingly Democrat state. Um, people are talking about Larry Hogan maybe running. Regardless, if, if Donald Trump decides to run again, I mean, he's going to get the nomination. That that's He's got a ton of money, but getting the nomination is only part of the battle. The battle is, can you win? And, I, again, I'll, you can mark the tape. You know, here we are on, on April 20, you know, whatever. And I'll, I'll tell you that I continue to think that Joe Biden gives the Democrats the best chance to pick up the White House. Is Joe Biden going to be the guy that ultimately gets the nomination? Well, I'm not prepared to say that right now, but I think there's a lot of Democrat candidates who recognize that starting today, he is the front runner. And I will tell you this, um, some Democrats, the Bernie Sanderses, the Elizabeth Warrens of the world, they got elected president. I would significantly fear for the future of this country, especially especially if somehow the Democrats could retake control of both the House of Representatives and the Senate and be able to push stuff through. Joe Biden doesn't scare me like an Elizabeth Warren or a Bernie Sanders scares me. And that's a good thing, I think. This is Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Welcome back. One final thought on the Trump-Biden race. And a couple of you have, have pointed out most nicely, one or two people not so nicely. And you, you are correct that in 2016, I did not see the Trump victory coming. And in that capacity, I, I think I don't think anybody saw the Trump victory coming, including you read these reports, Donald Trump and everybody close to him. But it was kind of like lightning in, in a bottle. I mean, he he drew to that inside straight. If you want, you know, the poker analogy that was there and, and he won all sorts of states that nobody thought that he was going to win. My interpretation of that victory, again, it wasn't so much a we love Donald Trump as it was that people just did not like Hillary Clinton, who was a known commodity. Everybody had an opinion on Hillary Clinton, and in a lot of the key states, the opinion was, well, we really don't like her, so we're not going to go out and vote. We're either going to vote for Trump or we're going to stay home. We, we, that. That was the opinion that was out there. And so I think in many cases, it wasn't so much of a, oh, my gosh, we love Donald Trump. It was, you know, we just don't like Hillary Clinton. And so this was the result. That's not going to be the dynamic in 2020. Everybody has an opinion on President Trump. And I understand that there's people who want to stick their heads in the sands and say, well, I, I look at all these polls and I see that, you know, his, his approval rating is underwater by eight or ten points. And I look back and I look at the 2018 midterm elections that was clearly the only way you can interpret that is a repudiation of Republicans and, and particularly the, the Trump administration. And and. People want to stick their heads in the sand and say, no, 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 it, it's not that. Well, I'm sorry. I'm not that guy. If you want to find an ostrich, you know, go go somewhere else. That's not what this radio show is. And the, the truth of the matter is, I think, you know, Republicans have to have this conversation. and Democrats have to have the conversation as well. I'm not saying that Donald Trump cannot get reelected. I, I think he can if Democrats make the what I would consider to be, you know, the, the choice to go hard left with a Bernie Sanders, and they may well do that, or an Elizabeth Warren. Yeah, I, I think Trump is very much in play. If you find a more moderate type of Democrat who's not going to scare the heck out of independent voters, 
Uh, yeah, I, I think in that case, Trump becomes a one-term president. Just saying. Time will tell, though. All right. I, I want to just offer a couple of comments. Over the last couple of days, and we've discussed this two times on the program in the last week, so I'm not going to open up the phone calls again, but the, the latest local media sort of implied scandal has been attacks, and, and they don't come out and – it's just, you can just tell by the way that the stories are framed about the Milwaukee Police Department's chase policy. Now, we've discussed this in the past. For about five years, um, from like 2010 to 2016 or so, Mayor Barrett and former police chief Ed Flynn decided that we don't want to chase bad guys. We will allow people to run from the Milwaukee police officers in cars because we, we don't want to take the risk of, of hurting somebody else or hurting officers, so we're going to let them drive away. That was a policy decision that was made after a couple civilians, innocent people, were killed in car crashes back in 2010 involving vehicles that had been pursued. So that's the policy that they came up with. The policy was a complete and total failure because what it led to was an emboldening of Milwaukee's criminal class. And Lord knows there's a criminal class. Three people just sent me text saying, well, when are you going to talk about this new study that says that Milwaukee is the sixth most dangerous big city in the country? To which I would say, okay, what's there to say about this? <laughs> you know, it's, it's okay. You know, so Milwaukee has a lot of crime in the urban area. All right. Yeah, there you have it. But in any event, they, they let people, the, the cops would let people run. And what that did was it emboldened the criminal class to run from the police. I think it no, there's no question in my mind, it greatly increased the amount of drug dealing because what you had happen is drug dealers, hey, if you're operating out of a drug house, boom, and the authorities find out where that drug house is, they get the search warrant, they kick in the door, well, okay, they, they've busted the drug house. If, on the other hand, you're dealing drugs out of your car, you know, you're just driving around. You've got the mobile phone and somebody calls you up and you decide that you're going to meet in a certain parking lot or whatever. And then the cops see this. You run. Well, they're not going to chase you. So, I mean, it, it actually it gave like a free hand to drug dealers because they would run away. They would flee in their cars knowing they wouldn't be chased. Um, you had a lot of juveniles who steal cars. That's just the reality. And so they knew that, well, why why worry about getting pulled over? We'll drive 90 miles an hour. We'll go through red lights and, you know, we'll make obscene gestures at the police. They're not going to be allowed to chase us. All those different things came together, and what you saw is the number of people who were driving recklessly, the number of criminals who got away, increased dramatically over those five years. And finally, finally, the aldermen got sick of it, the community got sick of it, and they started bringing pressure on Tom Barrett and his new police chief to change the policy. And with the blessings and support of a lot of us, they did. So now they chase more often. And one of the, one of the unfortunate um, results of this is that when you chase more often, you know, there are going to be more collisions. That's just the reality. You're more likely to have a collision if you're chasing somebody to try to catch them than if you just let them drive off. Now, the flip side is, you're catching more of the bad guys, and, and that's the, the good thing. And hopefully you are maybe deterring people from running because the word ultimately gets out that if you run, they are going to follow you. So the number of crashes are up, and so there's some bad publicity that's coming out, and the Milwaukee police 
apparently feel the need to defend themselves. I don't think they should because I think they're doing the exact right thing. What they say is last year, 2018, there were about 16,000 car crashes in Milwaukee. That's a decade um, high number. They also acknowledge that there's more police chases. Interestingly, though, the cops say that only 240 crashes were related to pursuits, which is a, a really a staggeringly small number. I mean, the, the number of crashes directly related to pursuits is very, very low, and it resulted in six deaths, which are un- unfortunate. In the last week, we've had three deaths, but at least two of them have been bad guys that have been fleeing from the police who've lost control and they've killed themselves. And that's an unfortunate thing. You don't like to see it happen, but... I'm sorry, I'm not going to be too terribly sympathetic. If you decide you want to flee from the cops, you lose control of the car and it costs you your life, well, maybe the lesson is don't run from the cops in the first place. So anyhow, the the police are now a little bit on the defensive. They put out a statement today with the numbers, and the the bottom line is they say, look, here's the deal. You know, we... If it's, you know, we're on a full blown education campaign to let people know that, you know, if you're driving recklessly, we're just not going to let you drive away. And, you know, we're going to pursue you and we're going to do everything we possibly can to catch you. I think that's all fair. But for people who are criticizing the cops because they're trying to get the bad guys off the street, I think that is way out of line. We want the bad guys off the streets. And I understand by having that policy. That means occasionally there will be the unfortunate situation of the the family that's in the intersection with a green light when the 17-year-old punk driving the stolen car, trying to get away from the police, blows through the intersection at 85 miles an hour and hits that vehicle. And I understand that. that That's a necessary evil that comes from this policy. But at the same time, big picture is – the reason th- those problems happen is because you have you have the bad guys in the first place. And I think within reason, the Milwaukee police and other area police officers as well and the sheriff's department, etc., I think they need to do everything they possibly can to catch the bad guys when people run. Obviously, there's going to be some chases that it's just too dangerous, too dangerous to the general public, too dangerous to the officers. So you have to terminate the pursuit. But as a general rule, I, I would say you chase. I don't think the police need to apologize for this. And if we're disturbed by the number of car crashes, what we should be disturbed by is the bad guys that are running. Note to the Milwaukee County judicial system, though, particularly some of you judges that are sitting in juvenile court, you are a part of this problem when you do not incarcerate people for driving in reckless and irresponsible ways. The one point that Ed Flynn, former police chief, used to make that was absolutely correct was, well, you know, we chase these juveniles who are driving stolen cars and driving 90 miles an hour, and we catch them, and we book them, and we send them over to juvenile court, and you've got some juvenile court judge that turns around and has them back out on the streets 15 minutes later, and then you know, two days later, they're in another stolen car driving 80 miles an hour. We catch them, and the same thing happens. And Ed Flynn's point was, you know, it's 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 almost not worth it's not worth risking you know people's lives and public safety by chasing people if you've got this catch and release system in the courthouse. That's a fair commentary. That is a fair commentary, and I think some of the judges, certainly not all, but some of the judges need to look inside themselves and recognize that they are a big part of this problem as well. 
but it's not the cops. When we come back, I want to talk about the census. Uh, don't don't have your eyes glaze over. It's going to be an interesting conversation. Stick around. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Coming up in about 20 minutes, is Jeopardy hopelessly, completely, and totally broken? We will discuss. First, yesterday, two days ago, Tuesday, U.S. Supreme Court held had a very contentious argument on the census. Every 10 years, every 10 years, the government has to do a census where they determine how many people live in this country and where they live. The census numbers are then used to determine how congressional districts are are drawn because under the law, congressional districts are supposed to have approximately the same number of people, approximately. In Wisconsin, we've got eight congressional districts. They all have somewhere between 715 to 700, 710 to 715,000 people. So, but over a 10 year period, people move. So you have to figure out where they are. One of the questions that the Trump, Trump administration wants to add a question to this year's, to next year's census, it's a question that they last asked in 1950. The question is, are you a citizen of the United States? So they want to ask people if they are citizens. This has caused a number of mayors, politicians, immigrant rights groups to just absolutely have their, their heads explode because their concern is, that if you ask people if they are citizens and they're not, and they're here illegally, they will just not answer the census at all. They won't just skip the question. They just won't answer the census. And so as a result of that, they won't be counted. Well, why do you care if they're not counted? Well, if you're the mayor of a big city who's depending on federal aid, for example, you know, based on your population, and you have, I don't know, 20, 30, 40,000 people who decide that they're not going to answer the census question so they don't get counted, well, then you're not going to get as much in aid. The Trump administration says, hey, you know, we have a legitimate interest in trying to figure out who are legitimate voters, who is able to vote, because that's the information we use to draw uh, voting districts. We need to know how many citizens there are. And you know, candidly, we, we don't think there's that many people that would otherwise fill out the census that aren't going to fill out the census because of this. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The smart money is that the Supreme Court, by a 5-4 to four vote, with the conservatives voting in favor, will uphold this census question. In other words, they will let the census ask whether or not people are citizens. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, by the way, think we should be asking whether people are citizens or not for a variety of reasons. But I, I swear, I don't think it is outrageous that in this country... When we are taking a 10-year census, we shouldn't be able to ask people, are you in fact a citizen? Because those are the numbers that you look at in trying to decide how, how congressional districts should be drawn. You need to know how many people are out there who have the potential for voting. There might be other reasons why you want to know how many people live in the city of Milwaukee, for example. But you have extremely valid reasons for asking, you know, of those people that live in the city of Milwaukee, how many are citizens? 
I have no problem with this question at all. 414-799-1620. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. W277-CV and WTMJ Milwaukee. From the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is News Radio WTMJ. And this is Jeff Wagner, so very glad to have you with us. Andrew in Greenfield makes the point, Jeff, aren't you screwing over congressional districts if you are using 50,000 illegal aliens in the congressional district and counting them? And the answer is, is yes. I mean, here, here's the best way I can explain it. Let's say that each congressional district in Wisconsin is supposed to have 710,000 710, People And that's going to be the, the numbers. That's how you decide you know, who's going to get to vote. We've got 710,000 know, voting age people, eligible people in one district and another another. In Milwaukee County, let us just say, picking out numbers, let's say of that 710,000 persons, that only 650,000 are eligible to vote because they're, let's say there's 50,000 people living illegally in, the, in Milwaukee County. I'm not saying that that's the number, but just for the sake of argument. Well, that means that, you know, if the voting thing is based on 710, but 50 or 60,000 people can't vote, well, people in Milwaukee County, in my example, would have a disproportionate, your votes would count more than somebody in another uh, congressional district where everybody was a legal citizen and all of them were entitled to vote. Your vote would be one out of 710,000, say, in northern Wisconsin, whereas in Milwaukee County, it'd be one out of 650,000. You would have a disproportionate impact. That's why it's important to know not just how many people are in a particular area, but how many of those people are citizens. And I'll go one step further. I don't think that the United States should ever, ever, ever be in a position of having to apologize for as part of the census that they are required to do every 10 years, should have to apologize for asking the question of, gee, of the persons that we're Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, Melissa, are you a fan of the game show Jeopardy? You ever watch Jeopardy? I do. I like Jeopardy. Okay. Have you been watching it recently with this guy who's on the, the run? I now? haven't, but I've seen clips of it here and there on the internet and through my Facebook feeds and stuff like that, and he's on a roll. Well, he is. Oof. No, it, it's interesting. I, I, now, I'm a huge fan of the game show. I'm not saying I watch it every night and all, but I, I, I like Jeopardy, and it's I find it to be kind of challenging. To be successful on Jeopardy, you need two things. First of all, you got to be wicked smart. you got to have a broad range of, of knowledge and, and know the answers. But you also have to have incredible timing. And this is why champions, people who've played it before, have an advantage because the the way it works is you are not allowed to buzz in. For anybody who hasn't seen Jeopardy out there, what happens is they've got a they've got a number of they'll have one, two, three, four, there's six categories um, up on a board, you get to whoever got the question, the last question right, gets to choose the category, and you could choose how much money you want, the $200 question, the $400 question, the 600 the 800 or the $1,000 question, with the $1,000 question being more more difficult than the $200 question. And so what what happens is you you pick the, the question, and it, it comes out, and the way that the game works is you are not allowed to buzz in 
until Alex Trebek, the host, has finished reading the question. As soon as as soon as the last syllable is uttered by Alex Trebek, then these lights, you can't see this on TV, but you can see it if you're in the studio. These lights go on, and then you can buzz in. And if you buzz in before those lights go on, your buzzer is disabled for like 0.2 seconds. So I mean, my adrenaline would be going so fast. Right. And you see some people, when they hit the button, they just like... right. They hit it like multiple times because they don't know if you've, they've gotten it yet. Right, and it's it's all so it's all this it's all this timing mm-hmm. that, that goes on because if you buzz in too soon, all right, well then your your right. thing's going to be disabled. Right, but if you if you wait even a split second too long, somebody else could buzz in as well. That's so true. That and see that that's why. Again, the the champions have an advantage because they they've actually played the game on TV before, so they kind of I think there, there's a rhythm to knowing when you can buzz in, right, et cetera, right. et cetera. So you know, I'm just excited when I get two questions right through a whole show. I'm like, okay. oh, I'm so smart. Okay, <laughs> don't you feel excited when you get one right? You're like, whoa. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I'm actually. You're probably pretty good. I, I'm actually, I'm actually decent at <laughs> yeah. now. But, but I mean, am I good enough to to go on TV and to play and win this? I I don't know because there's one. It's one thing to be at home going. I know that. I know that. Right, I know that. Right. It's another thing when you're in the oh, studio sure. playing this. But for what's going on now, there's this guy. He he's from originally from Naperville, Illinois. Mm-hmm. Um, his name is James Holzhauer. And if you haven't been watching this, he's on. And by the way, the Jeopardy shows are pre-taped, so so the this happened a while ago, but they're just playing the shows every night. So Holzhauer, originally from Naperville, Illinois, he's he's now based out of Las Vegas. He's a professional sports better. That's how he makes his living. That's a whole other level there too. I think that's giving him a leg up on this, right? For so he, sure. I mean, he makes his living betting base. Not he's not a card player. He bets bets uh, bet. He started out. Ba- betting baseball and he bets football and so he's big into analytics you know it's not mm-hmm. this gut feeling you it's, might be good at that then because you you have a little I, bit of betting I, I have that i have that bit. thing i'm i'm not giving up my the, the last thing the last thing fran wants to hear is that her friend melissa suggested that i give up my day job to we moved to las, no oh i thought you were saying move to las vegas oh, and no, become a professional sports oh, better yeah okay <laughs> she, she's Sorry, going fran. melissa stop that <laughs> okay so but in any event so the guy he's he's on an unprecedented run he's um He's won 15 games in a row. Um, his 15-day total, and they, they've had people that have, have won as many in a row. They have this guy named Ken Jennings who's got the all-time record. But what's really unique about this character is that he's he's already won $1.135 million, which is, he, he is at, he's winning money at this pace that is just unheard of. Yeah, it's incredible. Because he has a, he's got a strategy that he has developed that is completely different from the strategy that apparently anybody has played this game with over the last 40 years. What he does, and traditionally people will, if the, if the category is USA, people will say, okay, Alex, I want USA for 200 or 400 or 800 and move down the list. What he does is he starts with the big money ones. You know, he'll say, I want USA for 1,000. I want biology for a thousand. He tries to get the big stack of money, and then what he does is when he hits like the daily double that they have, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. he bets everything. 
So well, and that's a that's a that's a risk that a lot of people wouldn't take. Right, well, that nobody take. Right. <laughs> it's kind of <laughs> right? like this professional gambler, though. But we're going to go all in. And so what what happens? It's kind of like the poker players who amass the huge amounts of chips early on, and then they just kind of push everybody around. But he th- that's what his strategy's been. You know, you start off, you get a couple of these thousand dollar questions yeah. right now. You have to get them right. Mm-hmm. That's the key to making this thing work. But you get three four thousand dollars. Then you he goes searching for the daily doubles. He's a Apparently studied where they typically come up. He'll get those, and then he bets everything. So he ends up, you know, early on with thousands and thousands of dollars. And and I guess the guy thinks nothing of, like the final Jeopardy. If he's got fifty thousand dollars, he thinks nothing about betting fifty thousand dollars. You know, oh. and and it's working so far. So I guess the question I don't know do do they get to keep the the people that lose or in second place, third third place? They don't keep any money. No, they get like the the board game, and oh, they, they get gotcha. the. They get the the uh, lifetime supply of turbo wax oh, okay. and stuff <laughs> like that. I always wonder that. I go, no. oh, you know, one guy wins obviously the whole game, but then you no. have second and third place. No, okay. you, you get, they don't get any. No, no, no. You get you get the <laughs> right. You get you get the consolation mm, prizes. Gotcha. Thanks for playing. Here's the turtle <laughs> Here wax, and here's you know, no, no. That you know, so I always wonder. Yeah. <laughs> no, so, so you 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 you've got to win the stuff. But it, it's just fascinating mm-hmm. the way this guy has amassed not just winning, but amassed this this sum of money in such a quick fashion. All right, I want to open up the phone line. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, my guess is that there are many of you out there like me who are Jeopardy junkies who have watched this game over the years and are watching the run that this guy is on. My question to you is, are you rooting for him or are you rooting against him? Do you like this strategy? This is, in a way, kind of like in the baseball playoffs last year. You had all these baseball purists who just hated what Craig Council did. The way you know you know, use the pitching staff and stuff like that. And this guy's going to pitch two innings, and that guy's going to pitch two innings. A lot of baseball purists just absolutely hated it. Well, that's not the way we're supposed to do it. Okay, if you are a Jeopardy fan, are you rooting for this guy? Or are you not rooting for this guy? And I think the, the whys might be interesting. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. As near as like most of the pundits can figure out, you, you have this game that's been on the air for 40-some years. And this is this strategy that this guy has developed is something completely and totally different from the way anybody else has played it. And now a lot of people are wondering, is this going to change the way this game is played moving forward? Is this going to be the new strategy? 414-799-1620. All right, Gru is lining up the calls. We're back to discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. The, the all-time Jeopardy winner is this guy named Ken Jennings, who won like 74 games in a row. But interestingly, his average winning per game was about $34,000 a game. This guy who's on there now, this professional gambler, James Holzhauer, he, he's averaging like $74,000 a win. He's won 15 games in a row, but he's completely and totally changing the way the game is played. So my question is... Right, is this good or, or bad? Do you enjoy it? Are you rooting for him or rooting against him? 414-799-1620. Let's start with Bob in Oconomowoc. Hi, Bob. Hey, Jeff. How you doing? Good. Love the topic. I watch Jeopardy almost every day. This guy is the coolest guy ever. He's not only smart. He yep. gets 
most of the questions right, and he gambles like nobody has before. Yeah, let me st- stop there. Right, you have to be smart. This strategy doesn't work if if you're not whip smart. <laughs> if you don't know right. all these things, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think he's only missed like six questions that he buzzed in on. I mean, this guy is incredible. Okay. So are you rooting for him? Do you hope are, are you yeah. yeah, okay. So you're yeah, pulling for him. He wins five million. Yeah, is, the guy's awesome. Is this going to change the way people play from now on? You think everybody's gonna start emulating his style? I don't know if anybody can. Yeah. You, you, <laughs> have, you, have, you know, you gotta have his guts. Right. You know, and you gotta have his brains and, and uh Oh right. Yeah, because yeah, right but, you know, thanks. No, you're right because if you you start out the game and you say, okay, Alex, I want USA for a thousand bucks, and you get it wrong, well, you're a thousand bucks in in the hole, you know, from from the jump. The only way the strategy works is if you're able to get these big money questions right and amass a whole bunch of money, and then then you use it to kind of push around, you know, the the other players. But that means you got to be hitting the if you're betting everything on the daily double, you got to be hitting the daily double. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Jennifer in West Allis. Jennifer, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. I have to say at the beginning, I was very irritated because I can't stand it when they jump all around these categories. But now I have so much respect for his intelligence. Okay. And I am rooting for him now. <laughs> at the beginning, I wasn't, and I'd hate to be up against him. I feel bad for the other contestants. Oh, oh, yeah. So what you like is you kind of like, from a play-at-home perspective, you kind of like, the, okay, let, let's go to U.S. and then just watch him work through the progression of this because you know it's just, it's easy. I mean, it's easier for all of us. Certainly easier for me when you know that the next the fi- first five questions are all going to be in the same category. Exactly, and I also make my two teenagers watch the show all the time, which I think they get irritated at me. But it's amazing how much smarter they become just from watching it. Well, that's it. So you're you're now rooting for him every week, every am. day. Okay. I now, am. now thanks. Well, again, you have to. I mean, I guess here's kind of the bottom line. This is the reason we're talking about this. Is there's this huge. I, I want to tell you, I, I think almost every major newspaper in the country over the last three or four days has had one story or another watching watching this guy's progression. Chicago Tribune follows it closely. Now, of course, he's originally from Naperville. But, you know, whether it's the New York Times or the Washington Post, everybody's talking about how you have this guy that's come along and and, and really completely and totally revolutionized the way you play a game that's been on TV for the last 40-plus years. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Tony in Milwaukee. Tony, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Tony. Yeah, this guy's awesome. <laughs> But I, I was rooting for him. Now I want someone to beat him, but I don't see that happening. Okay, so why why do you want somebody to beat him? You're just you, well, you, enough of him. Yeah, it's too dominating. You know what? He, that jumping around he does is a strategy going from high, but he's he's getting it by when he hits the daily doubles, right? Because he seems to be getting all of them, and then he's betting a full amount. Right. Once he gets to twenty thirty thousand. Others don't have a chance, right? It, no, it, it, exactly. Um, no, right. he's no, and he's pushing. No, thanks. You're right. That's. I mean, that's. He's playing this differently than anybody else had played it, and it's he, he's playing it. I don't know. I mean, maybe some of the things are he's you know he's playing it like that professional gambler <laughs> plays the game where you decide, okay, I'm 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 going all in on this one. I'm, I'm willing to bet that I know more than the general public does. So here, I'm, I'm going to take my sixty thousand dollars and I'm going to try to turn it around. Um, most players haven't had the, I'll use the word guts, there's another word that's popping in my mind, but haven't had the guts to play the game that way. I mean, is is this good for the game, and does it make you more likely to watch? 414-799-1620. Doug in McGuanago. Hi, Doug. Hi. 
Uh, I'm rooting for the guy. Okay. And as far as whether or not it's good for the game, hey, Jeff Wagner <laughs> talking about Jeopardy on the Jeff Wagner show. Yep. <laughs> and there are, there are talk shows all over the country yep. talking about Jeopardy right now. Yep. I get it in my Google News pop-up that because they know I'm interested in Jeopardy. Right. So I get it. It's great for Jeopardy. So the extra fifty or 60000 over the normal winner this guy's winning, chump change. They're getting uh, in. Yeah. Absolutely priceless. Well, yeah, it, it's like it's like the lot. It's like the people that wait till the Powerball is at fifty million to, to play the Powerball or a hundred million because if you won fifty million, if you won ten million, that wouldn't be life changing. No, you're you're right. There, there's people that are hearing about these stories, going, "Hi, heard that guy on the radio, or I saw that story in the newspaper. They're talking about this guy on Jeopardy. I haven't watched Jeopardy in a while. Let's tune in tonight to see if he wins or whatever." You're right. It's not going to change the way it's played, though, because you have any idea? Well, no, I know you have an idea. <laughs> How few people, one, have the reflexes to, uh, to almost always chime in before anybody else. Right. And two, have the brains to be right almost yeah. all the time. Yeah. Now, I, I can give it to him now. I could see going in. If I'd been on the show for 10 times, I'd be going, I want to get the record for the day. But he did that his first day. Right. That is supreme self-confidence. Oh, no. And that way, no, thanks for going. No, clearly... Clearly, he developed this strategy, and it's not something that he just came about. It clearly, he said, if I'm going to get on this show, this is how I am going to play the game. I don't care how everybody has played the game before me. It's, I'm... I'm going to try to amass a whole bunch of money early. I'm going to, you know, bet the ranch on all the different daily doubles. I'm essentially, I'm going to bet on me. And I, I do, I mean, I think it's, I think it's cool. Um, I, you know, at some point in time with the last guy that won the 70 games in a row, I have to admit I was I was kind of tired of him, and I was impressed with what he was doing, but I was waiting for him to get knocked off. Maybe maybe my reaction to this guy is going to be the same, but but not yet. Not yet. I think it's I think it's cool what he's doing. Let's talk to Rich in Greendale. Hi, Rich. You're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Uh, this is not my first exposure. This gentleman back, I think it was in 2014, was on a game show called The Chase. Okay. And it was a three-member uh, group that would try uh, the the, character, the main character in the show was called The Beast, and he was uh, a trivia genius. And the premise of the show was to answer as many trivia questions in one minute that you could uh, get to. Okay. And you'd have to get that money down like a ladder to get that money home. <laughs> okay. And... The guy was phenomenal on that show, too. Okay. So he's been doing this for quite a while. So he's just one of those kind of savants when it comes to being able to answer trivia questions. Oh, he's fantastic. I love the guy. Well, I, love, I love his bravado that he goes out there and, and attacks. Yeah, well, right, and, and, and he's able to deliver because, look, there, there, we, all have, we all have areas where we know a lot. But, I mean, the, the breadth of his knowledge is just amazing to me that you can know so many things about so many different things. Now, thanks for the call. One more call. Let's talk to Marilyn in Oconomowoc. Hi, Marilyn. You're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. I just wanted to say I love this guy. Um, I have been watching Jeopardy since Art Fleming. Was oh, wait, right. Yeah. You go way and back. I actually, I actually tried out for the show about 15 years ago and unfortunately didn't make it. All the questions were about Shakespeare and opera. Uh, <laughs> not my, not my area. <laughs> but it, but it is to my point. It's really hard, right? I mean, you know, and, and the, did you get to the point where you got to play a practice game, or was it just yes, I did. okay? Yes, I did. 
Yeah, yeah, and it's fun. Um, but this guy, he doesn't have the arrogance that Ken Jennings had. Yeah. He seems like a real person, if that makes yeah. any sense. But I love it. I'm enjoying every night. Okay, so you're you're. It's kind of become really must watch TV for you as long as this guy's on. I actually DVR it when I'm not home. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're, they're, they love to hear that. No, thanks for call. I, I, I get. I I just find this to be so intriguing because you know you you have when you have people that come up and build the better mousetrap. And I I think at this point in time, most people are, are rooting for him and they're amazed by him. Now, if this goes on for another month or two, you know, maybe maybe the dynamic is going to change. And, and we don't, we just don't know. Like I say, they, they've already pre-taped a lot of this stuff. So we don't know if somebody comes along and beats him. But for the moment, if you are a Jeopardy fan and you, you've been away from the show for a while, you want to check this out because it's something – Guys like this don't come around that often, and I'm just amazed not only with the strategy, which is very cool, but also that you have somebody that's just that's just so wicked smart, or at least knows so much in trivia. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. <laughs> Fifty-eight degrees outside. So very glad to have you with us. Enjoy today. Enjoy summer tomorrow. Weekend forecast, particularly Saturday, does not look very good. Talking about several inches of snow. Yes, yes. The calendar turns to May in the middle of next week, and we are talking about several inches of snow. Some people are saying, "Well, the good news is it's not going to hang around for very long." It's still the end. <laughs> okay, it's the very end of April, and we're talking about snow. Come on. All right. Here's what they're talking about in California. Now, to tell you about how bad this idea should be, the last time it came up and it was passed, Governor Jerry Brown, Moonbeam Jerry Brown, the former governor of California, he thought this idea was so bad that he vetoed it. Now, Jerry Brown is no longer the governor of California, and the idea is back. Here's the deal. California is about to pass a law which would regulate public schools. The law would make it illegal for schools to suspend students for willful defiance, disrupting or disrupting school activities. So under the bill, students in grades four through eight could not legally be suspended for disrupting school activities or willfully defying school authorities, including teachers and staff. Schools for high school kids, they would also be banned um, for suspending kids for disruption or for willfully defying school authority. So let's put it like this. If you have a kid that is acting up in class, fifth grade, sixth grade, eighth grade, 10th grade, whatever, acting up in class, disrupting things. All right, you tell them you got to go to the principal. You got to leave the class. The kid not only says no, but blank no. All right. The kid could not be suspended for doing that. Kid makes obscene gestures at the teacher. Kid could not be suspended for doing that. Um, Kid decides he wants to disrupt the activities, be out of control in class. He could not be suspended for that. Now, if he were to attack the teacher, bring a weapon to school or something like that, he could be suspended. But simply willful defiance or disrupting the class that is not a basis for suspension. Now, you might say, Jeff, that how, why would you do something like that? And this is where we get political correctness that comes in. What they say is 
you know, when they've looked at the number of kids who were suspended for this, they find it falls disproportionately on some of the minority students. And the legislators are concerned. They say, well, look, here, here's the problem. You suspend the kid. All right, you say you can't come to school. Well, the kid just goes to an empty home, no supervision, denied valuable instruction time for anything, and as a result of that, you're hurting those kids even more. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, this is a very fashionable idea in modern education, this idea that, well, we're suspending people, you know, too much, and, you know, because merely the kid is disrupting class, well, if we take him out of class, or her out of class, if we take them out of class, well, we're depriving them of an education. My question would be, what about everybody else in the class? I mean, if, if you've got... 20 kids in a class, and you've got two or three which are doping off in the class and don't want to learn and don't want to be there and want to talk back to the teacher and want to disrupt the class. Well, what what about the 17 that might want to try to learn about how to read or write or history or whatever, do mathematics or whatever? What about the rights of those 17? And if you say, at least it seems to me, if you say to me, well, we're not going to suspend people for willful defiance, what you're really saying is it's Lord of the Flies out there. Come on into school, and we're going to just forget about trying to educate people, period. We're just going to say, all right, we're going to try to be a holding center here. And if you two or three you know, bad apples that are disrupting everybody else, if you make it impossible for us to teach the rest of the kids, well, that's okay because we don't want you to send, we don't want to send you home where there's no parental authority and you won't get any education. We'd rather have you in school stopping all the other kids from learning. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I understand that this is politically correct let's keep the kids in school at the same time how in god's green earth can you expect some teacher to go into a classroom and say look if you've got these disruptive kids we're going to tell the disruptive kids that no matter what they do unless they assault you um that if they can continue to be disruptive and they're they're not going to get tossed out of school well, what do you think is going to happen? I mean, imagine a dumpster fire and then dumping a can of gasoline onto that dumpster fire. 414-799-1620. Let's take a quick break. Gru is lining up the calls as we speak. This is Jeff Wagner. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 58 degrees. Let's talk to Diane in Milwaukee. Diane, you're first. Hello. Yeah, hi. How are you? I am well, thank you. Okay, so California wants to make it illegal to suspend or expel kids for willful defiance of of teachers or disrupting school activities. Yeah, well, I'm I'm a product of Catholic schools, so... You still got got the marks on your knuckles from the the nuns with the ruler and stuff, huh? Yeah, you know, well, things have changed so much. Right. But uh, I would say put the bad apples together in their own little classroom and have a television that's teaching you know show the teachers right. teaching what they're supposed to be learning and you know if they're different grades they can have their own set of headphones and a, the, the television they're supposed to be watching mm-hmm. and you know put the bad apples together i think most of the time they're just these annex that they're they're performing 
are for the benefit of laughs from, you know. Right, everybody else, yeah, or their buddies. So, yeah. yeah, I put them in their own little classroom and have uh, television monitors up with headphones. Okay, you wouldn't. can you imagine being the teacher, though, that was assigned to have to be in that classroom and, and monitor what's going on? Well, I think at that point what you'd have is a security guard. So if there are any problems... Uh, yeah. You don't have you, no. Yeah. I'm serious. No, no, I am too. No, you know, I was kind of chuckling when you said if there are any problems because you, you mean you really mean when there are problems because you right. know there's going to be if, problems. Yeah, yeah. And if if you know something goes above and beyond, which you know, send them down to the principal at that point, and then we'll discuss whether or not they stay in school. But to put them in their own little classroom together and let them, you know, birds of a feather, let them all be together. You know, thank, no, I get it. I kind of like, you know, what was the Breakfast Club? Where, what was that movie where, you know, everybody that's on, that's gotten demerits or whatever has to get together? I I, I mean, I look, I, I think that suspensions and expulsions need to be a last resort. Uh, because, and, and I'm sure maybe that's just kind of the easy way out in some cases, and and maybe you do have to be sensitive because it's subjective. You have to be sensitive that are are we more is some teacher or is the school more likely to use this method of discipline on uh, a person of color, a kid of color, than if it weren't? But but regardless of that, I guess I just think it's crazy to say to a school system or school district that we're going to take this tool away from you because this idea that, well, you know, we, we want to keep the kids in school and we want to keep them learning and all that. I, I'm all I'm 100 percent in favor of that. But I'm thinking of it from the perspective of if, if it's my kid or my grandkid that's in that classroom, I want them learning. I mean, I want them learning how to read, and I want them learning how to do math. I want them learning all that stuff. And if you've got a small minority of kids, two, three, whatever, in that classroom that are just hell-bent on disrupting it for whatever reason, who aren't there to learn, you know, the kids who are going to be the juvenile delinquents, et cetera, et cetera, I mean, I, I want them out of the classroom. I don't want them interfering with the learning ability of of my kid, period. Now, like I say, this idea was so far out that even the former governor of California, Moonbeam Jerry Brown, he he vetoed this. And now I I don't want to take – I want to give schools the power to to discipline as as they see fit. He didn't even want to go this far. There's a new governor of California who's even more to the left than Moonbeam Jerry Brown was. And what he's going to do, I I don't think anybody knows. But I'm going to tell you something. If if you as a if you're a public school teacher in California and this goes through now you are told that you just have to essentially sit and take it you know when you're going to class my guess is I would be looking for a job in a private school or maybe a job perhaps out of state all right I want to switch gears because I want to talk about this before the um, end of the hour when we talk about immigration a lot of time and attention is spent on people who are coming in illegally through the borders. And that, that's, you know, if you look at the dominate, that, that's what President Trump is talking about. That's what the people who don't like President Trump are talking about. It's all like, should we close down our borders? Do we need to build a wall? All those type of things. And, and that's all well and good. But there's an aspect of immigration policy that is completely and totally lost. And that is the idea of people who come in legally and then don't leave. It's called visa overstays. So you come in on a visa that lets you stay in this country 
six months or, or whatever, student visa, whatever it is. So you're allowed to come into this country legally for X amount of time. We do a good job of of regulating the people that come in. We do a very good job of, okay, your visa's in order here. You're allowed to be admitted. We do a terrible job of tracking people once they are in this country. Think back to September 11th, 2001. Think about the terrorists who hijacked the planes and flew them into the buildings. They weren't people who came into this country illegally over the Mexican border. That's not who they were. They were people who came into this country legally, I think in almost every case, via visas that they got, student visas, here we're we're here to study or whatever. And once they got in, they just disappeared into the country. And we we completely and totally lost track of them. And there are, I mean, there's some sort of scary estimates. Here's the numbers. I'm looking at it now between 2006 and 2017, okay, 2016 and 2017, which is the most recent numbers we have. The Homeland Security Department estimates that 1.2 million foreigners overstayed their visas. Now, I, I don't send me the email saying you're saying they're all terrorists. No, I, I'm not. But the estimates are 1.2 million people who legally came into this country with visas overstayed they did not leave when they were supposed to and we really have a very very poor system of tracking number one you know who those people are and number two where those people are this is in contrast with a lot of certainly european countries i mean i I can give you anecdotal information about people i know who have all right you know you're 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 in ireland and you're on a visa that allows you to be there for six months or whatever. And I mean, I actually know somebody that they were there two days late. They overstayed their visa. And two days later, there's authorities that are knocking on their door saying, um, excuse me, you know, you, you have overstayed your visa. We don't keep track of those people with any degree of certainty. So earlier this week, President Trump, you know, reached out and said, here's what I want to do. I want to order, I want us cracking down on the visa overstays. And he said, look, I want plans as to how to deal with this, um, including ideas that we could have for requiring and people to leave when they're supposed to leave. One of the ideas they're floating around is perhaps admission bonds. In other words, you know, when you come into this country, you have to post a bond, and the idea being you'll get it back when, when you leave. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I know we talk a lot about immigration on the from the border, and that's important. But 1.2 million people overstaying their visas, I think, is a huge, underreported, undercovered scandal. And I think that if you want to talk about immigration reform, this is a good place to start. 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Would you like to see us be more aggressive in trying to track down people who overstay the visas? We discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner, glad to have you with us. Mary writes, think Singapore. They get info as to where you are going, with whom you are staying, the address, phone number, and workplace, and then date you are leaving, verifying that by your plane ticket information. Yes, 
I, I mean, look, I, I'm not here advocating that we need to spend, you know, millions and millions of dollars and hire all sorts of homeland security people whose sole purpose then is to track people who've come in on visas, because I understand that for the vast majority of people who end up overstaying their visas, it's an inadvertent thing. It, it's not necessarily that big a deal. But have we learned nothing from 9-11 I mean, 9-11 was visa overstays. You know, people who came in on, you know, legitimate purposes. Oh, here, we're, we're going we're gonna to study. We're going to do this, et cetera, et cetera. And then just disappeared into the fabric of, of the country. And we, we didn't track them. And the truth of the matter is, 15, 16, 17, 18 years later, we still don't do a very good job of tracking people who have come in in that fashion. Now, I don't know that requiring a bond is the, you know, is is the way you go about doing that because that that ends up becoming a nuisance and uh for for people and it might be a hindrance for people who have legitimate reasons to come into the United States. But but I do think given all the data tracking that we're able to do, it's not unreasonable to say, "All right, you know, we're going to require you. Where are you going to be staying? How long are you going to be here? And it's not unreasonable, at least in my opinion, to have some little light that goes off that says, okay, within a week or two of when somebody's visa is supposed to expire, you know, maybe you send a notice to that local community where they're supposed to be living saying, hey, by the way, just so you know, these people are here. The visa is going to expire in two weeks, and we want to notify you. Now, of course, I understand in the world of sanctuary cities, you ask I don't know, somebody in Milwaukee County or Los Angeles uh, to do something or Oakland and say, all right, well, you've got somebody who's overstayed their visa. Maybe you want to go out and check on them. I mean, maybe you're not going to get any sort of cooperation. But at least in that situation, if the person who is the visa overstayer then goes out and hijacks an airplane and flies it into a building... Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. So, Tony, before you leave, are you a Netflix guy? Yes. Yep. Okay. Kind of so, on and off. Okay, but you have Netflix? Yes, you right subscribe now do. to it? Yep. All right. What do you watch most on Netflix? Oof. Um, I, mean, I, you, I mean, do you watch it for the movies? Do you watch it for their original content? Do you watch it for... Reruns of TV shows? Mostly reruns, honestly. Once in a while, some of their original programming will hit me, and I'll enjoy some of those. But I'd say the majority, reruns. Reruns. of What shows? Uh, The Office. That's my number one goal. Okay, The Office would be your number one goal. All right. Parks and Rec is right up there, too. Okay, Parks and Rec. But all right. Have you seen these shows before, or are they kind of... Yes, I have. Okay. But it's it's something you can put on. Kind of. I've seen them so often that I don't necessarily have to be focused on them to know what's kind of happening and enjoy the parts. Fair enough. Parks and Rec in The Office. Okay, Gru. You, I know, are a Netflix guy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I like all of it. Okay, well, all right. But I, you, can, you can like it. <laughs> I like it all. But, but you know, you, do you, I'm sure you have something that you prefer. Would you find that when you're using Netflix, do you use it most for, like, the movies or their original programming, which could include movies or TV, or like the reruns like Tony's talking about with the, the reruns of the shows? Yeah, I mean, it depends on context. I, I enjoy a lot of their original programming. I look forward to the brand new movies that they get right. on like maybe a monthly basis. Uh, but sometimes I enjoy just watching Friends, like having that on in the background. Okay, all right. Well, see, you guys are not necessarily outliers, and this is what I'm where I'm going with this. Netflix, now I... 
I freely acknowledge that I was kind of not an early adopter of Netflix. I think everybody in the world had Netflix before I, I did. But but I, I've got Netflix now, and I find that I, I mean, I enjoy it. Interestingly, I am kind of an outlier because when I use Netflix, I rarely watch reruns of, like, network TV series. I, I That's not what I use it for. I'll look for movies or I'll look for our, some of their, their original stuff, their original shows and things like that. The one I just got done with the first season, it, it, it's, it ran for a couple of years ago, but it's Ozark. And I watched the first season. I'm not sure I'm going to watch the next two. But th- that's what I do. It's like kind of the original programming. I almost never use it for things like Friends or The Office. That being said... Right here's the deal. Netflix has about 140 million subscribers worldwide, worldwide approximately. Of that, about 60 million are in the United States. So I mean, it's U.S. is a huge chunk. And one of the things that Netflix is finding is that unlike me who uses Netflix to find, oh, what movies are on here now or what's some of their original programming, the vast majority of people do exactly what my producer and what our, our news guy, Tony, do. They, they watch it for, like, reruns of existing TV shows, which is why uh, Netflix had to pony up to, uh, $100 million this year to, for just one year for the right to show friends. The, the, their original agreement had expired, and so if they wanted to continue to show the you know 200 episodes of Friends or, or whatever, they, they had to pony up $100 million, and they did. They did. It was like, I think, triple what they paid before because they, they felt that one of the big things that's driving people to Netflix is, in fact, the, the fact that you can go and doesn't matter how many times you've seen Friends, you can watch Friends. And I, if you're a regular listener to this program, you know that my my wife and all her friends are friends fans. I, I've never quite gotten it, but it's on all the time at, at my house. So, but people love friends. The other thing that's coming up soon is like next year, their right to show The Office expires, and if they're going to be able to keep The Office. They're going to have to shell out big money. I mean, what they think is probably even more money than they're paying for friends. And, of course, if they're shelling out all this money for these shows, what that means is either fewer money, either increased rates, or it means fewer, less money for the stuff that I kind of look for, which is the movies and the TV shows. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I think it's very, very interesting to me what people use these these streaming services for. And that's the discussion I wanted to have. So my question is, if you are a Netflix user, what is it that's most important to you about that streaming service? Is it new content? Is it the, the movies that you might see, kind of using it as a replacement for some of the movie channels that you get on pay cable? Or is it, hey, I want to watch the, the reruns of the TV shows. I want to be able to go and watch, if I want to binge and watch two years' worth of Friends over a weekend, I want to be able to do that. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is it the new content? What are you using these streaming services for? What is the real value? And if, for example, Netflix 
wasn't able to offer friends or they weren't able to offer the office or they weren't able to offer parks and recreation? Would you be bailing on those? What do you use those services for? 414-799-1620. And I think where we go with this might lead to some interesting conclusions. Like I say, for me, I, I, I don't. I don't use these services to say, okay, I'm going to sit and I'm going to watch Friends from 14 years ago or Seinfeld or, or whatever. That's not what I use them for, but I think I am in the minority. 414-799-1620, if you are a Netflix user, what is it about that that draws you and has you paying the dough every month? We discuss in just a minute. Gru is lining up the calls. If you're on the line, please hold on. 414-799-1620 is our number. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, how do you use Netflix? And the reason I ask this is it's an incredibly popular streaming service. Almost one hundred and forty million people worldwide, and about sixty million people in in the U.S. And there's all sorts of different choices that you have. I mean, Netflix has original programming, things like the. The, the Crown or Ozark was a series that they just kind of wound down. So you've got the original programming of what's the one that they have? Glow. I kind of like that. That's the gorgeous ladies of wrestling. So you've got you've got that stuff out there. You've got the original programming and some series, limited run series and some movies. And then you've got the, the regular pay mo- movies that you would get on. I don't know. On, what did I watch on Netflix the other day? The Wild Bunch. I just for, you know, movie from 1969 or whatever. And then they've got the, the TV shows. What they are finding is that it's the TV shows and the rights to have them that are costing just an absolute fortune to have friends for one year. Just one year in 2019 cost them a hundred million dollars and to. Uh, keep the office is probably in the starting next year is probably going to cost them even more if they were to lose those shows would it affect you 414-799-1620 let's see jeff i like to binge watch network tv shows especially those that had a series that started quite a while ago for example my favorite show is blue buds so i might stay over at season one episode one and then watch it all the way through and then a couple months later might end up doing it again all right now here's the contrasting jeff not netflix but my wife ordered a free trial of amazon prime i definitely got hooked on original programming like jack ryan some starring the gal from the office so you, you have that that's out there Tell you what, let me take a quick break. My voice is starting to starting to lose my voice for a second. We'll be back with more in just a minute. But Netflix, what is it that is important to you about that? This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Yeah, so that's the battle that Netflix is fighting. It, it's do you go with the original programming or do you spend 
big money trying to go after the, these reruns, and at least their conclusions are that the vast majority of the people who are using the service, I mean, really don't necessarily care that much about original programming. What they want to do is they want to be able to revisit their old favorites, and they want to be able to watch Friends, and they want to be able to watch The Office, and they want to be able to watch Parks and Recreation. And interestingly enough, what ends up happening is that that the rights to run those shows are becoming more and more expensive. Now, for me, the appeal is, what's the new stuff? I, I've, you know, I've, I've seen the Friends shows or I've seen the Seinfeld shows or, or whatever, and yeah, they're kind of comfort food, but I'd rather see the new stuff. 414-799-1620, David and Madison. David, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hello, how's it going? Good. What do you think? So, you know, I... If Friends or some of those big ones aren't on, it really doesn't matter to me. I've really tried to use Netflix for, you know, some of the original things that they're doing I think is great. But international, there's Canadian, Australian, New Zealand shows on there that I've found that are fascinating. Well, the BBC stuff, I mean, there's a couple things that I've watched over the last year or so that, you know, the BBC programming that, that's there and you can watch it and you can kind of binge on it. Some of their mysteries and stuff incredibly well done. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I haven't gone so much for, for those, but um, some of these uh, shows about, uh, like, in airports, like New Zealand and right. um, and some of the British things, too. But, yeah, I, I think, you know, Netflix, you know, started out as the kind of thing of, you know, here's here's the program we have. But, but I mean, I, I'm just fascinated by all these different platforms right. coming out with original programs. I can, I can watch eight episodes of a show you know, that I couldn't find anywhere else. And I just, yeah, I, I love it. The, the, the thing is, that, I don't know about you, David, but for me, it almost becomes daunting in that there's so much stuff out there and there's only a limited amount of time. And the idea is, how do I know what to watch? And and at some point in time, I think people end up with almost becoming overwhelmed because you've got all the different platforms. You've got Amazon Prime. You've got Hulu. You've got, you know, and now you're going to have these. Uh, Disney is coming out with their own streaming service that they want to charge people for. At some point in time, it's kind of like, okay, how, how many different streaming services can you end up having? Oh, yeah, yeah. You could, you, you could have lots, and I do Hulu, Amazon Prime, and uh, Netflix, and sometimes it's just, you know, it's still cheaper than if I were uh, to have cable, which I don't. And, right, you know, right. Sometimes it's like, hey, I find something, and ooh, I'm surprised. You know, surprise me. Well, that's, I mean, th- that that's it. Now, I wish, thanks for the call, I do wish it were easier to navigate around some of these platforms. I mean, I'm always, like, for example, I find Netflix to be very difficult to, to get around and to find, you know, what, what exactly they have there, I, I find it to be, you know, again, difficult. But it, but it could partially just be me. But, I mean, here's what the real battle is going to be, and you need to be prepared for it. Like I say, I mean, I think it's very possible that next year, if you're watching The Office on, on Netflix, you might lose that because the folks that put out that show are planning to charge a whole lot more money for it. And that ends up meaning if they're going to charge a whole lot more money for it, that means that they're going to have to cut back in other stuff or alternatively, what's going to end up happening is that, you know, they're going to have to charge you more. Just saying. This is Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Welcome back. 
Um, the program was preempted yesterday because we had the early Brewers game, but there was a really interesting editorial in the Wall Street Journal that kind of caught my attention, and it, it, it it's it's titled "Thank You, Don McGahn," and it talks about how the, President Trump really should be grateful to his former White House counsel, and this is kind of the upshot of the Mueller report because President Trump, according to the report, you know, ordered various subordinates, including his attorney, to do various things, and they ignored him. And if they had done these various things, oh, go fire so-and-so, it's quite likely that President Trump would be in a lot more trouble than than he is now Um, because a lot of these people, whether it's Reince Priebus or Don McGahn, his lawyer, they just ignored it. They just said, this is kind of crazy stuff. I'm not going to do it. And then later President Trump either backed off or forgot about the orders, et cetera, et cetera. But all this stuff kind of worked to his benefit because, again, if they had done some of the things that he had ordered them to do when he was angry about something, well, we might be having a different conversation than we are about the um, whole question of obstruction of justice. But instead of just being grateful for this, President Trump is very, very upset that these people have talked and he's denying that he did this and denying that he ordered things and all. And the basic conclusion, again, this is the Wall Street Journal editorial board, and they're coming down with this piece saying, well, essentially, the biggest problem is that President Trump is a liar. Let me just read a brief portion of this to you. The Mueller report vindicates Mr. Trump on Russian collusion and obstruction, but its narrative does reinforce a core problem with Mr. Trump's governance, his frequent and almost casual dishonesty. He lied to the public about the June 2016 Trump Tower meeting after it was reported in the press, yet the report said he had no reason to do it. Out of what seems to be peak or pride, Mr. Trump is now claiming that his counsel, Mr. McGahn, isn't telling the truth, though the episode shows Mr. Trump backed off his bad judgment. So much of Mr. Trump's dishonesty seems to flow from his ego, which can tolerate no slight and no suggestion that he is capable of mistakes like the rest of us. Yet the result of his falsehoods is to undermine the credibility that any president needs in a crisis. All of this also underscores that Mr. Trump's character as president will be his main reelection vulnerability. On policy, he should be a favorite based on the economy and the Democratic Party's sharp turn to the left. But voters will balance that against Mr. Trump's personal behavior and whether they want to spend four more years in the Trump maelstrom. Okay, this this is the Wall Street Journal editorial board essentially saying, you know, the, the president is a liar. <laughs> And he lies about all sorts of stuff. He lies about stuff that he doesn't have to lie about. He lies about stuff that doesn't hurt him, but he feels that he's got to lie about it, that it's peak and it's pride and it's this inability to admit that you you ever do anything wrong. But this is the Wall Street Journal editorial board saying, hey, this is his biggest vulnerability. It's not his policies. It's the fact that he's a liar. (laughs) He's just he's just a liar. All right. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I really have a a two-part discussion I'd like to have with you. Do you accept the premise that the president is a liar, that he lies about big stuff, that he lies about little stuff? I mean, all right, did did he have a a one-night stand with with Stormy Daniels back in 2007? Well, I don't know. Is there anybody that believes him when he says he didn't? I, I don't. 
All right. So, you know, is is he a liar? Is there a reason to lie about it? I don't know what the reason to lie about it would be. But, you know, is he, number one, a liar? And secondly, should we care about that? Does it matter as long as the economy is going well and we're not at war? I mean, do you care if if you accept my premise that he is a liar? And I don't think there's any way you can dispute that. Should we care about that? We're going to discuss that in just a moment. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, is it unfair to describe the president as a liar? I mean, I don't. That's what the Wall Street Journal's doing, and I don't think, I mean, I think, I got to tell you, I think that's accurate. The question becomes, should it matter? Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. This isn't me. This is the Wall Street Journal. Big editorial yesterday saying that the biggest vulnerability of Donald Trump is he is an inveterate liar. That's one of the things that comes through with the Mueller report. He he lies about big stuff. He lies about little stuff. He lies about stuff that doesn't hurt him. Um, and, and, and they conclude by saying, look, this is the guy's biggest vulnerability because by any stretch of the imagination, the economy's doing well. We have peace. We have prosperity. But the problem is it's the lies, even when you don't have to lie, that are causing a lot of people to sour on him. All right. Th- does lying matter? I mean, do, do you agree with this premise that the president just can't help himself? He's an inveterate liar. And, and sh- should it matter? 414-799-1620. Let's start with Phil and Cudahy. Hi, Phil. Hi. How are you? This Real well, thank you. Okay. Is he a liar? Yes, clearly. Okay. And I, I think um, basically since he came on the scene, he's been he's been dishonest about everything. And so how can we trust him on, how can we trust him on anything? Uh, you know, first of all, he said only the, the best and the brightest people would be in his cabinets. He, he can't keep people in his cabinet. Yeah. They won't work for him. And if they were any good, they probably are long gone. Well, or it's uh, things like the, his, his counsel, Don McGahn, says, okay, this is what the stuff he, he told me to do. I kind of ignored it. Now he's like, oh, this guy's lying about this. Well, you know, no, he, he's, he's, you know, nobody thinks Don McGahn is lying. As a matter of fact, and Don McGahn probably saved President Trump from, you know, doing things that might have had more talk about impeachment. Yeah, he, he did him a favor. Now, you know, Trump, but he can't help himself, I guess. So, you know, why Why are people, anyone, any longer making excuses for him? Mm-hmm. Well, I guess uh, the question is, does it matter? Do, do we care? It doesn't it, matter. The entire okay. country is turned inside out because of this guy. I mean, there's, there's, there's more uh, disunity between Americans than ever. There's more people at each other's throat mm-hmm. because, you know, there's no middle ground. It's not like, ah, uh, you know, President Trump is okay. No, right. it's not like that. It's, it's love or hate him. Right. Well, yeah. politicians have always been known to stretch the truth, and politicians have always lied about various things. I was just watching a documentary on the, the Pentagon Papers, you know, going back to the 60s, and, and Eisenhower lied, and Kennedy lied, and Johnson lied to the American public about Vietnam. But Truman lied. Do we, you know, do, do politicians always lie? They do always lie, but as you said, in, in daily... Yeah. Converse, no matter what it is, he lies. It, and it, it, he has raised it to an art form. <laughs> I, I, I can well, see that. It, no, I mean, it, it, well, it, and it's about stupid stuff. I mean, I, again, I, I go back to this, all this this trouble that he's in over 
um, it, obstruction of justice with regard to the payments to the, the stripper Stormy Daniels. I mean, of course he slept with her. I mean, it's just, I mean, does anybody not believe the guy didn't sleep with her back in 2007? Of course he did, you know, but but no, he's in this trouble because he wants to lie about it. No, thanks for the call. 414-799-1620. It is, it is this character issue, and that's what we're kind of wrestling with is the country nowadays, because does does character really matter? Are people getting fatigued with this incessant thing that I and I think it is. I think the Wall Street Journal nailed it. I think part of it is just just this super ego and the, the fact that you uh, look, I don't know about you. I make mistakes and I make mistakes all the time. And it's you know, you, you hope to learn from your mistakes and things like that. But I, if I, if I promise somebody, hey, I'm, I'm going to meet you at five o'clock, and I, I, I forget, it doesn't get on the calendar or whatever. I'm not going to say, well, we never had a meeting. I'm going to say, gee, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I just completely forgot about it. But the Donald Trump approach is to deny, well, we never had that meeting scheduled. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Does it wear you down, Shirley in Waukesha? Shirley, you're on WTMJ. Oh, Jeff, I'm so glad you're back in the afternoon. Huh? You make. Afternoon. Thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you for WTMJ for letting me do the afternoons. I appreciate that. <laughs> Hinkley, our sort of, I'm an old time <laughs> WTMJ. I, I can't think of a worse liar. A liar. The worst, and I told your screener, producer, yeah. and I cannot get it out of my mind, is the day after the terrible massacre at the synagogue, he appeared at a rally and said, uh, folks, I wondered if I should come to this rally after what happened, but then I thought of 9-11, and I called the head of the New York Stock Exchange and said, what did you do? And he said, we, the head of the stock exchange, said, we decided it had to open the next day, and I did everything I could and got it open the next day. It did not open yep. in 9-17. There's not one person in that group that didn't stand and say, Mr. President, please have respect for these people. That did not open until the 17th. Yeah, it didn't happen. No, thanks for the call, Shirley, and thanks for listening. It, it, I mean, it's about big stuff. It's about little stuff. And, and candidly, that has – do I think President Trump has gotten a fair shake from the media? My answer would be no. There, there's no question about it. I've never seen mainstream media decide to go after somebody in the fashion that they have. But at the same time – he the reality is he invites a lot of this himself and and you you do it by all right the, the you go back to the inauguration and it's like all right this is the largest crowd ever to turn up at an inauguration who number 1 who cares number 2 it's objectively not true but you decide that you're going to go to war on something stupid like that because who cares one way or or the other it's not it's not a voting issue mark in germantown mark you're on WTMJ well you know Jeff, i think uh I think one of the issues is he's a he's a he, there's a, not, no better example of a narcissist than Donald Trump. As a matter of fact, I think Webster's going to change the definition <laughs> to him because I mean he does the, the, the lies just roll off his tongue. And most politicians, I believe a lot of them do lie, Jeff. I really do. Mm-hmm. But I think they feel bad about it or they think about it. He doesn't. It just rolls off his tongue. Right. But he could tell people, start telling people and believing that the Earth is flat tomorrow mm-hmm. and. His, you know, his Fox followers, they'll believe it. Hey, he said the earth is flat. The earth is flat. And I think a lot of people put scruples and morals and everything beside them and vote for this guy. 
You're selling your soul. Well, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out two years ago. You know, we've started this program talking about, you know, the Biden factor. And and, and I I guess, I mean, it, see, I'm, I'm still old-fashioned enough to believe that character counts and character matters. And it, it does – I I get worn down, Mark, by some of the drama and a lot of the unnecessary drama that's out there by – a refusal and to your point about the narcissism it's it's yeah when you when you can't acknowledge that you did anything wrong and that you've ever made a mistake or that you know maybe there was a better course or maybe you weren't the best and the greatest because the, the reality is we can't all be the best and greatest at everything and most of us realize that exactly um, and i think part you know part of it goes back maybe the way people are raised you're a product of your environment right i gotta wonder about that well no thank, thanks i mean i and again i i mean this isn't this it is going to be an issue that plays out and i want to i'm kind of doubling back on where we started the program i mean i think i'm not predicting that joe biden gets nominated gets the democratic nomination i i don't know i i think maybe he's too old maybe he's too out of touch maybe he as a center left democrat doesn't represent where the party is i i do think if he's the nominee he's I think he's the odds-on favorite to be the next president. Frank in Milwaukee. Frank, you're on WTMJ. Frank. Hello? Hi, Frank. Yeah, yeah. Oh, hi, hi there. Hey, you know, I was just uh, thinking, too, going back to the, the first time that I heard him talk about the uh, the uh, uh, senator that had had uh, that was a prisoner of war. John McCain. Okay, yep. and, and I remember that terrible comment because I mean I'm a veteran. In fact, I work at the VA hospital here, and I I remember that comment. I saw it come out of his mouth when he said he you know he he doesn't like the ones that get captured. He likes yeah, the he, ones that don't get right, captured. Yeah, he's not a hero because he got heroes aren't the ones that get captured. Yeah, yeah right, right. Man, I mean, you mean to tell me a, a, a person with any type of, of, of sanity can't look into how bad, how terrible it must feel to be under the a POW, man, to be in somebody else's country, man, and they got you. And that has to be the craziest feeling in the world. And for you to live through that and come back through that, man, that's saying a whole lot. So here it is. He can't even give honor to a person, man, that has been through for their country. Yeah. It, of, no, it, I mean, it, it's a character. No, thanks for the call, Frank, and thanks for your service. I, it's a, it, it's a character issue that's out there. And I, and I understand that there's some people that don't even like to discuss that. Well, you shouldn't be talking about these type of things. But I'm, you know, when the Wall Street Journal editorial board is raising these sort of issues, I, I think it's something that's definitely out there and, and needs to be discussed. And if, if it bothers some people, oh, how could you even say this? Well, I, I became a better talk show host when I stopped worrying about offending certain people or, or whatever and just started saying things that I thought. Because this is, it is true. And, and a lot of the president's problems, I believe, are of his own making by, again, this, this need to lash out, this need to attack, this need to what I call punch down. You know, who cares? If some commentator on MSNBC or CNN or whatever decides they want to say something bad about him, who cares about that? You're the leader of the free world, for goodness sakes. You don't you don't need to spend your time obsessing about the ratings of uh, Joe Scarborough or whatever. I mean, you 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 just I, I think you you make 
the presidency more just little when you obsess about those types of things. Now, look, I'm I'm not naive. I'm sure Bill Clinton and Barack Obama and George Bush and perhaps Ronald Reagan. I mean, maybe they obsessed about some of this stuff as well and negative coverage and things, but they didn't do it in this public vein. Uh, they, they kind of rose above that. So, I mean, this is going to be one of the interesting issues that's out there as well about, you know, do, do we care? And the Wall Street Journal article is absolutely correct in the fact that, you know, in normal circumstances, 2020 should be a walkover for Republicans because the economy, and unless something happens dramatically, the economy is going gangbusters. And uh, again, while there are hot spots in the world, you know, we're, we're it's a time of relative peace and prosperity. And while you've got income disparity, I get it. I mean, a lot of Americans are doing pretty darn well. So all those different issues are there. But I think President Trump has squandered a lot of that goodwill just because I don't know the different things that he chooses to say. And like I say, it's frustrating because a lot of the stuff, a lot of the lies, a lot of the misstatements are about stuff that people really wouldn't care about in the first place. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. If I sound exasperated, I I, I, I guess I kind of am. It's some of these, we don't spend as much time as some shows do talking about national politics, but all this stuff is, is kind of coalescing. There's a series of stories out there today about how you, you've got the Democrats in the House of Representatives who are issuing all these subpoenas, and now they've decided that they're, they're going to war now that they've got the power and they can, the majority, they're going to war and they're issuing all these subpoenas uh, against you know, seeking, you know, to have people testify from the Trump administration. Some of those, some of those subpoenas are undoubtedly politically motivated, designed to embarrass the president. The president's response is, "I'm not. I'm. I'm going to stonewall all of these. We're not going to honor any of these House subpoenas," which is. A really kind of remarkable position given given the history. But here, here's what's here's what's going to happen. You know, you're going to have Democrats will issue subpoenas uh, for testimony from this White House official or that White House official, or whatever. President Trump will refuse to allow them to appear. The House committee will then go to a judge. They'll ask for a finding of contempt. If the person didn't honor the subpoena. They'll probably get the finding of contempt. And then, you know, you're, you're going to have this matter go to the courts. You know, can you enforce that, et cetera? And, and this is this is how we're going to be spending the next two years, or at least the next year and a half. It's not going to be impeachment, but it's going to be on, well, President Trump won't allow so-and-so to testify, even though he's testified six times already. He won't allow him to do that, or they're not going to give us this document or that document. Apparently, it's not going to be any sort of selective thing. It's going to be just across the board, and, and we're going to be spending – you know, the next two years. And, and there's a lot of fault to go around. I don't blame. It's not exclusively on the president. It's on a lot of the Democrats in the House who've decided we're just going to use this shotgun approach and we're going to demand all this type of stuff. And then the president's response is, well, I'm not going to give you any stuff. And we're, we're going to be spending the next 18 months, you know, with this contempt finding or that contempt finding. And we're appealing this to the district court or the court of appeals or the Supreme Court. And it's going to be this ping pong match. And 
Everybody's just going to be trying to get political gain. Meanwhile, nothing meaningful is going to get done on some of the things that we need stuff to get done on. Like did I mention, Social Security is going to be starting next year. Social Security is going to be paying more out than it's taking in. And unless we do something, by 2034, they're going to be out of money. I mean, that these are real issues that you know we're, we're faced with. And yet we're going to be spending our next 18 months, again, trying for political one-upmanship. And I, I don't just blame the president on this. There's you, You've got the Democrats who are running a lot of these House committees who are just as bad, if not worse. But it, it's just... It's just frustrating, I guess. And I, I, the fact that we're not able to get stuff done and that it is degenerated to this level, and there's a lot of stuff to go around, but I'm just telling you, as an American citizen and somebody who comments on and sees a lot of the these it's not light at the end of the tunnel it's it's trains coming at us the other way and the fact that we're just not willing to address you know a number of these things that do in fact need to address and the reality is you know there's a lot of stuff that i think reasonable people could agree on i mean there's a lot of solutions that are out there we could if people of good conscience came together you could work out some of the problems that we have with immigration. You, you, you could do that. There are agreements to be had, but nobody wants to make those agreements because it means doing something like compromising. And God knows, apparently, you can't compromise about anything. Just extremely frustrating on all these different levels. And I hate to end the show on a level of frustration, but that's kind of where we are right now. I could... Let's see. We could watch baseball. Oh, no, the Brewers aren't playing tonight. That's probably just as well because the way the Brewers have been playing lately has not ended my level of frustration either. So looks like I know it's only been 26 games, but th- this team has big problems themselves, and nobody apparently wants to acknowledge that. So you've got that. We do, of course, have the Bucks though, and that is something. And course, as you'll be able to hear on WTMJ later on this evening, the Green Bay Packers have a big chance to turn uh, two dismal seasons around, starting with two picks in the NFL draft. I'm not going to make any predictions on that. I'll leave it up to uh, the sports guys who know a lot more. I just hope that whoever they get in the first round, both of those guys are impact players because Lord knows they need it. All right, I'm going to take a quick break. When we come back, John and Melissa and I think Greg are all going to be in. We'll find out what's going on on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Please stick around. This is Jeff Wagner.